Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hello and welcome to episode 107 of Sexology Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nazanin Moali. One of the requests that I get often from you guys is that you want to learn more about how you can manage your compulsive use of pornography. Some of you guys shared with me, emailed me, you guys told me that you feel it's impacting how you perceive your partner. Some of you shared with me there are some uh, psychological challenges for you and also sexual challenges. One of the common ones I hear that people are not able to getting erection with the partner or it's easier for them to lose erection. So it's impacting many of my listeners and also my my friends and colleagues and also my clients. Our guest today is Wendy Maltz, a licensed social worker. I interviewed Wendy on episode 35 on healing from sexual assault topic and If you guys are a therapist, you probably heard about her very well-known book that's called Sexual Healing Journey. If you're someone who struggles with uh, some kind of sexual assault and you want to kind of incorporate healthy sexuality back in your life, I highly, highly encourage you guys and go back and check out that episode. Uh, Wendy is an internationally recognized sex therapist, author and speaker with more than 35 years of experience treating sex and intimacy concerns. She's the co-author with her husband, Larry Maltz, of The Porn Trap, The Essential Guide to Overcoming Problems Caused by Pornography. Wendy's popular educational website, healthysex.com, provides free articles, podcast interviews, posters, video, and more to help people overcome sexual problems and develop skills for love-based sexual intimacy. Before I get into the interview, I just want to remind you guys that my practice grew. I hired other very skilled clinicians, so we would be able to help you guys with any kind of a sex therapy challenges, but and also or any mental health challenges. Uh, we offer in-person appointments. So if you're in Los Angeles, you're welcome to come into our offices. Or if you are internationally, global, in other areas of the world, uh, we offer video counseling. I have several clients that I do sex therapy in outside the United States, which I love our work together. And I see we I think we got we get good results. So if you want to make an appointment or you can just talk to us about the possibility of doing that. I encourage you guys to go to our website, Oasis to Care. Uh, you can book an appointment there, or you can give us a call at 310-600-9912. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Wendy Maltz. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I am so excited and honored to have Wendy Maltz, LCSW, back on our show. Wendy, welcome to our show. Hi, happy to be here. I was sharing with you before we started recording that how, how our previous episode was very well received. And today's topic is also is one of those topics that people have many questions. And I know you wrote this wonderful book on the porn, kind of like struggles around the porn that's called Porn Trap. 
So I guess I wanted to start with kind of asking you, what do you think about people watching porn? Do you think is it problematic when it's compulsive or you're against all all kinds of viewing of the porn? Well, I never, you know, I've been a sex therapist for like 40 years, a very long time. And uh, so starting in the 70s and uh, and in the 80s, and I, um, I never, I didn't really see pornography as a problem. Uh, back then, it was a different product, and it didn't seem to impact people in the way that it does now. And so if there were problems, people would say, Oh, they don't like the type of pornography their partner's watching. You know, videos came into being in the 80s and and this kind of thing. But then it wasn't until about the year 2000 and the advent of the Internet that as a practitioner, I started hearing people sharing a lot of problems with porn. I mean, as a feminist, I had some issues with porn back in the 70s. And there were even some books back then, Men Against Pornography, because people were making a connection between the pornography industry, the type of uh, messages that were coming across in porn where Males are dominant over females and also white people over people of color and and that people were treated as objects. There were seen as some connections between pornography and sexual violence and and uh, exploitation seen as, you know, and it was like. So I always I never felt really great about it. But personally, you know, I would go. My my husband and I got together in the 70s and, you know, we'd even go and watch some pornographic movies together. And uh, they used to be in movie theaters. Oh, how fun. <laughs> and it was all you know, kind of looked around, you know, like, oh, who else is here, you know, or whatever. But, you know, titles like Behind the Green Door and Debbie Does Dallas, you know, there were things that there were a lot more innocent things right, right. back then. and. Uh, but it was seen as kind of like a way to spice up a relationship, le- maybe learn a few things about sex. But then what? when uh, Larry, my husband Larry is also a therapist, and we both were hearing these incredible stories of woe back in the, uh, after uh, the, two, the year 2000. And it was breaking up marriages. People were deciding not to get together and um, and create a family or, you know, get married because of a pornograph, they discovered pornographic use in in a partner that had been secretive and partners were really distressed. Often they were traumatized. They had all the symptoms of trauma. They were in shock. They were, you know, they were just, oh, these incredible stories. And then uh, people who were using porn were saying they can't get off it. I had been trained as a drug and alcohol counselor uh, initially, and what people were sharing were the same kind of things I heard from people who had uh, serious addictions like to cocaine and heroin, um, where it was just really almost like it was like they were saying it was like felt impossible to get it out of their lives. And so the new porn, porn coming through in computers and available on DVDs and um, where you can download it and stream it at any time, things like this. It was like too much. It was like just the sheer volume of it 
And it was taking a turn towards a kind of cruel edge. It was spinning out into more kind of uh, sexual behaviors that were more on the uh, on levels where they were weaving in aggression and violence. And still today, it's even it's a, it's a pretty aggressive. Uh, shows a lot of sexual aggression. I think it's like eighty eight percent of mainstream pornographic videos have you know, a scenes of sexual aggression in them. And, and that, and so it's like, it, it, it became something different. The product changed because the way it was, it, the way it was being um, produced, it's availability. You didn't have some, some of the checks before was that it was really difficult to get a hold of. You had to order it mail order, or you had to go down to a video store and go into a back room with curtains, you know, right. <laughs> which I have done, you know, (laughs) but, you know, it, it, it just became so much right there. And it was also, there was a whole new generation that was being raised on porn and with porn as their first sexual experience. And, and that is really powerful. I mean, you, you know, first experiences like the kind of diet you eat when you're growing up, you know, if you start out with healthy foods, you're more likely to stay with healthy foods. Well, if you start out with pornography, which is, it's very removed from heart, from love or a relationship, a real relationship connection. It's even removed from one's own sensuality and their body and their own erotic imagination. It's it's like a pre-made fantasy of uh, that someone else created, and it, and it kind of denies a lot of uh, learning, developmental learning about uh, sex and developing your own sense of being in your body when you're experiencing sensations like arousal and orgasm. So it's sort of a takeover of a commercial product. Uh, of uh, the uh, natural uh, sexuality. I mean, we're all impacted by our society and the culture and what we see in television and movies and all anyway. But this this kind of like training and conditioning and habituating the thoughts and the desires to a product that is geared towards financial gain of someone else, you know? Right. (laughs) I mean, the, the pornographers aren't sitting around saying, how can we create, you know, erotica or erotic, sexually explicit material that will benefit a person and help them <laughs> grow as a sexual individual and have strong relationships that create strong families? And they're not thinking that. They're, th- they're thinking, how can we get this person addicted? And, right. and I I know that I've actually seen that in writing of the um, like the video news, you know, they, they will actually say, you know, how can we generate addiction? And a lot of the things that are in uh, techniques and uh, technology pop up windows. And and when you're all of a sudden taken to another uh, site, you know, and you wonder, how did I get here? Right. So all those things were inventions uh, to increase pornography use. And, and the, people have studied and mapped out like the direction and flow of where 
pornographer, how pornographers operate and how they move people towards more intense, uh, more aggressive, more violent, more transgressive sexual behavior because people get bored seeing just, you know, standard sexual interaction. And so they weave in, you know, child pornography or barely legal or violence and, and extreme behaviors. Pornography has had some, I think, you know, you can look at it and go, well, maybe, you know, it's been beneficial in some ways because it has, it has shown this incredible variety of sexual interaction that has existed, but it's skewed it. It's skewed it, making people think there's more of, you know, that sexual violence is normal or that some behaviors where the body is harmed is normal. And, uh, and things like that, or that sex with children or, or rape, things like that are, are, are all, and trickery is all part and parcel of what goes on sexually, but it's really scenarios that were developed to sell more porn. Right. And I think there are, as you mentioned, I think there's uh, two main part that I can see is very problematic. One part is accessibility, as you mentioned. Like I remember back in my mom's time and like, you know, like when I was even younger, it was like you had magazines or there you had just, just one video that like, you yeah. know, that was it. But right now with this new technology and algorithm and all of that, they're constantly collecting data in a sense that they think, okay, what's your erotic template? I can give mm-hmm. you 10 more of these videos that are exactly about how you're going to get turned on. And it's just hard to say no. Like if, if it was like, you know, if someone was constantly serving me my idea, like the, the yummiest food that I would love, and it would be hard to say no. And, and I think that's one part of it. And the other part, as you mentioned, is the sex education piece that many of the youngster ones using, they, that's the only information they get around sexuality. And as you mentioned, that they get wrong information about how is your how their body work. For many women, they feel they're broken because they don't climax within like first two minutes of penetration. So there's so many misinformation coming from porn. So I can see that that's those are the kind of like some of the challenges as you as you mentioned. Yeah, but I think many many people in general public they're able to kind of like modulate their use but also there is a sub subcategory of people that I also see in my practice that they're struggling they're kind of watching porn several hours as you mentioned similar to addiction to alcohol and substances I work in that field as well it's just they're losing the relationship the work and the consequences is really hard so I'm kind of curious what are some of the consequences that you throughout the year noticed that people's kind of compulsive view of porn cause well, pornography can cause a multitude of different kinds of uh, have negative effects. And I, I just want to back up a little and say, you know, I think that there are uh, studies show that there are between like eight and 15 percent of people who use porn will develop a very serious compulsive problem with it. Wow. And that's a big number. That's true with uh, Parkinson's drugs and other things that affect dopamine uh, regu- regulation. So, so I think there could be like about you know, 15% of us are, are, might be more prone to developing a very serious addiction. And we don't know if we're in that 15%. I don't, I don't know if there's genetic, <laughs> that is true. Genetic, 
testing for that, but you kind of discover you are just like a lot of people can eat sugary foods and not develop a a sugar addiction, but a certain number do, you know, or, or have predispositions to diabetes and things like this. And so that's the scary thing. Also, people can go through periods in their life where they're not having a problem with porn and then slip into it suddenly or or just cascade down into it. And so it it is geared towards developing that addiction. So what I found a lot of times is people would say they did fine with it up until they started into looking at this particular genre of porn or they that they up until they got a mobile phone device and 70% of all uh, pornographic viewings happening now on mobile devices because it's there 24-7. So there can be, so it's interesting to note, you know, I I don't think you can say, you know, like some people are immune 100% to developing problems, but it, and, and you never know how your attitudes are being changed and all. So I, I sort of got turned off to it as a product in general because of this kind of question mark. I mean, how much cocaine is too much cocaine, you know, <laughs> before is- you become an addict and and that kind of thing. And anyway, but the types of problems that can result are run the gamut from emotional things, um, mood disorders, irritability, being depressed and angry and having anxiety, fearfulness, mood swings, feeling powerless in relation to porn. I mean, some serious psychological stuff, you know, and all that can create kind of social isolation and developing a secret life, lying a lot where you never were a big liar, but you're you're lying to protect your your behavior with porn and the shame around sex comes in there because people are they don't this is a hard thing to talk about and say I think I've slipped into a dependency on porn or porn's taken over my sex life and my life in general so they don't they go for long periods of time without getting help and often getting worse but there's uh sexually objectifying other people and uh Engaging in risky and dangerous behaviors can come up, like things like accessing child porn or accessing porn at work or even distributing porn or engaging in in sexual behaviors when seasoned porn that are harmful to, uh, or risky or don't involve sexual, you know, uh, protections against a pregnancy or, or a sexually transmitted illness. And then unhappy relationship issues. We'll talk about that more a little later, I know. But the the tremendous impact on intimate partners. Uh, Some are cool with the porn use, especially when couples uh, watch it together. And that's the only kind of access they're doing is things they've agreed on and that are with that feel appropriate to their values and, and all. But uh, there are a lot of partners who see it as cheating and feel competitive with it, are shocked at learning the extent of the pornography use. And then specific sexual problems of training people, like I said, away from sensuality and they can develop a loss of interest in a a real partner or having difficulties with sexual functioning. Self-loathing comes in. 
When, when anybody feels like they're, something else has got a grip on their life, you just can feel miserable about that, you know, ma- no matter what, what it is. And then people can end up neglecting important areas of life and, you know, compulsively using and, and actually getting addicted to porn where they crave it or feel out of control with it. They can't stop. They, they're unable to discontinue despite the negative consequences that they're and serious consequences they're experiencing. So there's a lot, you know, I have this really neat poster that's for free on the website, healthysex.com and anyone, you can download it. And I know there are a lot of people, college students and sometimes parents with their uh, high, high school, you know, uh, with their kids, but also uh, people who are uh, wondering themselves if they have a problem. It, it, it's kind of like the you know, those things that come with, when you buy a prescription drug and they say these are all the possible <laughs> negative <laughs> right. side effects. It's called the hazards of porn. And it, these are, I've listed that all the, the range of serious problems that can result from porn use. It doesn't mean it's always going to happen. And it doesn't, it's, it doesn't mean it will uh, have to happen or whatever. But the, these are the kinds of things that can happen. And what you can do is you can look at that poster and you can go, okay, am I moving in this direction? Or am I, you know, pretty cool with my porn use? And, you know, most people who are using porn without it creating problems, they've got, they're very specific about what they will allow themselves to see and how much. It's kind of like with drinking or with marijuana use or other um, drugs, things, you know, it's like if the person's got it in ranges where it's not really conflicting a lot with their personal values, it's not conflicting with being able to do the things in life that they, they like and with their self-esteem, it's not bothering a partner, you know, and, and, and it's not creating this world of dishonesty then, you know, that, that it, those are sort of the conditions where people seem to be able to manage it. And in some ways, it can, you know, spice things up a little bit or give people some new ideas, depending on, you know, who's making the porn and what. Right. <laughs> you know, and what the values are in it, how, you know, what the gender messages are in it, and how is sex looked at in it. Some pornography is a loving couples, you know, or people, people who at least have respect for a partner. Right, right. And I think it's important, as you mentioned, being kind of an informed kind of consumer. And sometimes the challenges is not only like one person and or even only with the partner that they have. Many moons ago, I had this clients that uh, he was sharing with me that growing up, his father was absent and he was just like not around and cold and like always in his room and like all this kind of like very negative reaction he had toward his father and many years later as an adult he realized his father had like sex addiction and porn addiction he went into the program and things like after he got sober things drastically changed his personality and he was telling me i don't recognize my dad because how our relationship transformed and 
that all those years that he was feeling kind of resentful, my clients are saying like, I lost those opportunity that I could have been closer to my dad because of his addiction that was kind of taken away from me. So I think it's important to kind of have a kind of more kind of bigger picture when we're kind of thinking about is it is how my problem is impacting my loved ones, my life, my relationships as as you mentioned. So I guess my other question is if if people notice they kind of have a problematic relationship with porn, what are the steps that you recommend them to take in order to quit uh, this unhealthy behavior? Well, yeah, I mean, just recognition that uh, denial is kind of the first state most people are in, where they're not there, they might have a sense that, that something uh, is wrong, but they're not really looking at it. So um, they, you know, they can go into, uh, it's hard to get to that place where you recognize that, that that this is having a serious effect on me and I need to take some steps to change. But, you know, coming out of isolation, talking to someone else about it, a trusted person, getting involved in a treatment program can be important, creating a porn-free environment. And, you know, when people are really serious in terms of moving away from porn, they need need uh, like 24-hour support and and all, a lot of the time. And so like a, the uh, 12-step programs can be helpful or being able to take care of your physical and emotional health and doing a lot of work on healing sexuality because you need to really create a, a relationship, a, a new approach to touch and sex that is rewarding and where you're more present more in your sensuality and more able to connect love feelings, caring feelings, or even just respectful feelings with sexual arousal and release. So developing one's sensuality and developing these new approaches to sex can be a very key part of, uh, of healing. So there are important steps, but in general, you know, people often start out with pretty low motivation and ambivalence about about doing taking uh, steps to heal. They they don't want to see it as serious a problem as it is, and it's often not until someone hits bottom they get caught, or they lose their job, or they. Uh, get into trouble with the law for like accessing child porn, things like this, that they go, oh, God, this, I really need to stop this. And sometimes the, the consequence is that they are having trouble with sexual functioning, which we'll talk more about. But and that's pretty scary when you can't get enjoyment out of sex anymore. But the the important thing is when people do make that commitment, and they recognize they have a problem and that and they get help and support to move away from it and they come out of isolation that um, there's an incredible healing can go on and in our book the porn trap larry and i half of the uh, devoted half of the book to recovery and how to do it and how to deal with relapses and things like that and how to uh, avoid relapses too and how to strengthen and heal an intimate relationship that's been impacted by porn. And 
we get, and there are touch exercises, and we get really good feedback from people in terms of how beneficial that whole, those sections on, re, on recovery are. But it takes that commitment, takes that re- recognition that I can't pretend this hasn't got a grip on me. Awesome. So what I'll do is, guys, if you're interested to get a link to her book, uh, you can find it in the show notes. Wonderful book. I really highly recommend that. But I also wanted to talk about the question that one of your audience sent uh, sent you, and you were gracious to share it, share that with me. And I think it kind of captures what I hear a lot from the partners of individuals who are struggling with porn addiction or out-of-control relationship with porn. So I'm going to read the question, and I'm very excited to hear your response. So for our listener, here's the question. We call the person Janet. My husband cannot get an erection, maintain his erection, or orgasm unless he fantasizes about porn or other women. He is in recovery from porn addiction, one-year porn-free. Yay, that's awesome. But if he's continuing to fantasize, is he really sober? I feel so hurt that he's continuing to need these images when engaging with me. I have lost all desire, give myself to him. And yet I feel sorry for him too. Am I being prudish to want him to stay present with me? And what should we do about it? Uh, you can really in this in this e- this email, like I said, we were saying it came to me this week when I knew I was going to be on the podcast, and and this woman we're calling Janet wanted me to wanted us to address this on a podcast interview. So <laughs> the timing was just amazing. But I really feel for what Janet is going through, and I've heard these sentiments from many partners of people with porn addiction problems. So even though she knows her husband is addressing the issue, they still have this, it's impacted their sex life and they haven't, and his sexual functioning, his ability to get sexual arousal. There's a problem called porn-induced erectile difficulty. And um, it's been identified P-I-E-D. And it's a little controversial, but because some people insist it's not, caused by porn and others say, hey, they're writing in on all these, you know, to to these internet uh, sites and saying, I have this problem and it's real. And and we're hearing it a lot from people who are trying to get off porn. And often it resolves itself once they get away from the porn. But like Janet is saying, he's sharing with her that, you know, this, it's, uh, he's still needs these fantasies to get aroused and that he's he's maintained the porn use in his head. So it has taken over his erotic imagination and he hasn't, it sounds to me like he hasn't spent time developing new arousal patterns and developing his erotic imagination. You know, I had written a, a book with Uh, Susie Boss, I have have a book called Private Thoughts, Exploring the Power of Women's Sexual Fantasies. I did a lot of research on sexual fantasy. And even though that book is geared towards women, there, you know, a lot of the principles are true for men. We have chapters on healing unwanted sexual fantasies. And 
what I learned in my research and talking with people about sexual fantasies but was that you can uh, change fantasies, but it's not like you can just walk away from disturbing fantasies and just cut them out because when you've developed habitual patterns for arousal that are related to certain images and fantasies, they work. And they, you know, and they've been reinforced with the biggest opiate release your body can do, which is an orgasm, you know. And and so you have, you know, it's it's kind of a, a process that involves a lot of self compassion for Janet. I hope she can develop compassion towards her husband more. She has some there, but you know, to develop and realize this isn't an easy thing to do to shift over. If I was to see, you know, when I, when I was counseling, if I was to see a couple with these issues, the kinds of questions I might ask would be of the man. Um, does he find himself, what direction does he find himself going over time? Are these fantasies fading or the nature of the dynamics going on in them changing a little bit? Are, how are they morphing? Are See, feeling like he's reinforcing pornography use through it, or is it more like he's he's present some of the time and then a kid and needs, but then slips into the pornographic fantasy, you know? And you can you can eventually kind of wean yourself and reduce the uh, strength of the fantasy or the nature of the fantasy and move it towards images that are more consistent with your present relationship, uh, weaving in and out of the fantasy and just taking a little break, making eye contact with a partner can be very helpful. We talk about an exercise called heart anchoring in, in, the, in the book, The Porn Trap, where you can actually put your, it's like you put your, take a moment, put your hand on your heart or your partner's heart. You just take a little break from sex and just focus in on your good feelings for them and how you're expressed and just feel your love for your partner and your appreciations. And just weaving in that kind of an interaction can help really change it and can change it for the partner too. Like a woman in Janet's a situation if she knows that her husband is really, you know, spending some time in their interaction and in their sexual interaction, really relating with her and appreciating her body and and sending love through his touch to her body and appreciating her touch to his body. That that even though you know she might know he may slip into the fantasy on occasion that would be less that can be less hurtful you know what I mean in, in it and and it can be encouraging I we don't go for a hundred percent change and you can't like slam yourself for reactions that were conditioned in over years of time it doesn't mean he's bad or, or or is is even less committed to his uh, recovery if he, uh, it, you know, on if if he uses some of those fantasies. But it's more a matter of where is it going. In general, is he using it less? In general, is he able to make some more connection? 
and doing other exercises to increase his that where he is more, more like tuned in, even though it's really early, like sensate focus exercise. Actually, I was thinking yeah. about that. You yes, that? yes. Yeah, that where you're laying there and your partner's massaging you and you're just feeling, you know, the sensations and massaging your genitals or your breasts and, and you're, you know, you're, you're communicate, learning to communicating, things are slow, it's in, in the present and, and just doing some of those basic or tantric sex um, can be very helpful, uh, the practices. And I know some addicts who moved into learning about uh, tantric sex, and it's been uh, a whole a window into a whole new dimension on sexuality where they are relaxed and present and more sensual. So there's, there's some learning here that hasn't gone on. and. It, it's understandable that he's struggling in this way. In terms of erectile, uh, I think he should be probably checked out by a doctor to make sure there's not uh, some difficulties. Well, he's having erections on his own, so he has that capability. But there are some exercises that that are like the standard sex therapy exercises you're probably familiar with, you know, in your work of for erectile difficulty, like where a partner can, uh, or the the individual, the man can stroke himself and and just feel the sensations and move up mm-hmm. towards orgasm, but not have one and right. things like this. And if he can do that with just kind of breathing and just feeling good sensation coming in, whether or not he's getting an erection, and then his partner stroking him. But being able to stop, like if a lot of pornographic images are coming in, just take a little break, just put it on, you know, try and sweep those to the side and move back to skin touching skin and how nice that can feel and and breathing into the sensation and making a sound with the sensation, a moan or something. Those kind of things can help a person be more focused and develop uh, new arousal patterns. Right. And I think your recommendations I shared with you, I think sensate focus is great. And even like regular mindfulness practices, because I think my experience is that people, like when they struggle with pornography addiction, their brain kind of get hijacked to this fantasy world. And unless they're doing that, the speed is like not, the same speed as most of the people kind of like get aroused and all of that. So if you're doing kind of mindfulness practices, even breathing exercises outside the bedroom, it can help us to be kind of more present. Definitely. And learning and yoga can help and Tai Chi, anything that helps you be present in your body and your breath and with sensation and um, in a way that's very, self-accepting and self-compassionate and 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 that that's great and connected to nature too and um the natural environment Uh, there's some exercises back from the book the sexual healing journey you know where like the sensory basket just learning to relate to a basket full of you know uh, a different things like a feather or a orange or a an interesting feeling smooth rock or something and you where you're actually just 
focusing in on things and being present in interacting with things in your environment, those are really good preliminary skills for being able to enjoy sensation sexually and eventually develop arousal patterns. And you know what? When I, I, I was very impressed with this as, as a therapist, when people cut out behaviors that they didn't want to be doing anymore, the body and the mind found a way to kick in with new arousal patterns. Like um, women I worked with who cut, who got, uh, got away from unwanted fantasies that say where they were being raped or things, you know, they were witness, had to witness really horrible things. There's usually in survivors who had, were, had these fantasies and they needed them for arousal. You know, when they moved away from them, they were able to enjoy sex and function and have climaxes. It, it just, it wasn't this instant thing they could take, like, you know, to get this immediate reaction, but they were, it, but the body kicks in. I think we naturally want to feel pleasure right. <laughs> and, and enjoy ourselves, you know, and enjoy our partner, but you have to kind of trust. It's like letting go of that little, I don't know, uh, that, that little thing you had. It's like if you give up sugar, you know, will you ever enjoy anything? You know, or if you cut back on your sugar, will you ever enjoy, you know, things again or whatever? You know, will, we, will you have pleasure in your life? And then all of a sudden you realize, wow, this fruit tastes really sweet. And I never knew an apple could give so much sugary, (laughs) yummy (laughs) sensation, you know, but it was only because I cut out sugar that I was able to taste the sugar in the apple, you know what I mean? So that's what happens. We switch. We end up being able to appreciate new things, but you have to let go of that old candy bar first. Right. And I think my heart, as you mentioned, goes to Janet. This is a really, really hard work. And I know many people like just in marriages that's kind of like end up in divorce because it's it's hard to go through the work of recovery with your partner. And I guess kudos to her that kind of like help it like kind of she stayed with him all like through recovery. And now she is trying to sexually reconnect. And I think that is a tough place, but I'm glad that she's brave enough that she's going there and she's giving it a good shot. Right. And I think, you know, it's not his, he's not a bad person. It's not his fault. He's, like I said, we have a, a, uh, it's important to step back and look at this bigger picture. We have this product that's come into our society, into our world that is very potent and it can take, it is and can take over some people's uh, sexuality. And that's what it's geared to do. It's just doing it. And there are no warnings. There are no, we don't have like, you know, public service announcements saying pornography can take over your sex life in ways that you might not like, you know, Um, we don't have this kind of thing. And so P and we're not talking about it. There's so much shame around talking about porn you know, being, being, um, uh, active porn use. I mean, it's joked about and masturbation's joked about, but it isn't really like 
you know, well, well, what is actually happening with you? Oh, my goodness, that's actually happening with me, too. And, oh, you know, I have a teenage son that, you know, if some people are having teenage sons who are getting into serious behaviors, you know, and, and where they, they're having erectile difficulty and things like this. And it's like, wow, why isn't this being addressed? So we have to look at it. We're in a context where we have, we have, it's like tobacco before tobacco was recognized as causing cancer and all these other problems. You know, there's a, a silence, a shutdown being that's, that's on it. And corporations are making money off of people and they don't want to really let people know about the serious impacts of porn and even a lot of therapists are in denial about it too i think right i can certainly see there are at least even in my practice even this is a sex therapist not necessarily addiction practice that many people are struggling and it's impacting the relationship and many people are desperate for solutions so that's why i think books like yours is a very good place for people to get the information they need so we're toward the end of our time, but I want to, I know you have this wonderful website and you have books and all of this great information. So if our listeners want to get a hold of you, Wendy, what would be the best way to check out those contents? Well, I think, you know, through healthysex.com, there's a contact page there. I can't give personal advice to people, but there is a resource page. And I also, there's lots on the website free articles and posters and videos and information. I, I think they can get a lot. You know, I'm, I'm retired now from counseling, so I don't do that work in terms of private practice. But uh, there are, you know, there are a lot of other people out there like yourself. Thank <laughs> who, you. <laughs> who, yeah, who are addressing these issues in very helpful ways. Yeah. And I think even that you mentioned that you don't provide individual coaching or counseling right now, but I think in your website throughout the years, you have this kind of accumulation of great resources. You've done multiple interviews. You have lots of books and resources. So I think it's going to be uh, helpful for many of our listeners. I encourage them to go ahead and check out the website and I'll make sure that if you, if you were not able to take notes, you can find the information on the show notes. Wendy, thank you so much as always being so generous with your time and your experience. And we are very grateful to have you. My pleasure. It's a joy to talk with you. Have, have a, a good day. day. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Wendy. And if you really want to learn more about her strategies on how you can overcome your problem caused by pornography, please go ahead and check her book. As I shared you, as I shared with you guys in the past, I work with many clients who are struggling with compulsive view of porn, viewing of porn. I don't necessarily think that every single person who uh, watches porn has an issue or will develop an issue. But as Wendy mentioned, it's important to be kind of mindful of what are you watching. We had Dr. Catherine Hartline in our previous episode, and she was doing research on this topic. And she said, usually when people are watching it only with their partner, partners, they don't have, they don't develop a struggle or issue. It doesn't get compulsive. But if you're watching it 
with yourself alone, that can turn to a problem. And also it's important to kind of like, and I always say that to my clients as well, that to log how much are you using? Because at times when you're logging something, we'll see is, oh God, it's out of hand or it's not a big deal. It would be interesting to see that uh, how many hours per week you are using it. And at times, what is the purpose of porn for you? Some people use it purely for entertainment, but most often when it becomes problematic, people are using it as a coping mechanism. So whenever they feel anxiety, they go straight to pornography and that's their only coping mechanism or depression. All right, guys, I'm very grateful that you stayed with us the entire almost an hour. I know this was a longer episode, but I'm glad that you listened to it and I'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks for listening to Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www.sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.